2: We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This
3: vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all.
4: We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people
2: going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing.
1: And a very good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepke. So, Roger, the government says that imposing local coronavirus restrictions could actually be an option as concerns grow about the spread of the Indian variant. There are now more than 2,300 confirmed cases in the UK. Around a fifth of those are in areas around Bolton, Blackburn with Darwin.
2: Well, the Environment Secretary, George Eustace, says the government wants everything to go as planned, but it can't rule out local measures our preferred outcome is that we really
3: double down and get the vaccination rates up in those areas that are seeing uh, these problems so that we can give them the immunity that they need to this virus uh, and then we won't have to have any
2: such local lockdowns. But Labour's Lucy Powell doesn't support that and she explains what she feels is the best approach
1: that we really do motor on with some surge vaccinations as well as surge testing, focusing on places like Bolton and Blackburn, where the Indian variant is now uh, significantly on the rise. Well, in a moment, we are going to speak to the head of research at the Greater Manchester Chamber of Commerce. But first, let's bring in Bloomberg's senior and news editor, Adam Blenford. Adam, thanks for being on the programme. Look, it seems odd, doesn't it, that at a moment when yesterday we were easing up the restrictions um, in England and Wales, that there's also this threat, actually, that local lockdowns may be brought in once more. How close do you think we really are to that, given the spread of the Indian variant?
3: Hi, Caroline. Thanks. You know, it's important to remember that COVID case numbers are running pretty low at the moment, and obviously in comparison to that big surge that we had um, back in December and January that forced a very long lockdown and a tough lockdown in the UK. And, but, you know, the government's really concerned and the scientists on the stage advisory committee really concerned that, that the, you know, they've seen what happened in India. And, you know, if the variant that was first discovered in India is uh, as transmissible as that country's uh, epidemic seems to indicate, then they're very concerned that people who are unvaccinated could be kept Um, caught up in in, in an increasing wave of infection. So, um, you know, whether we're close to local lockdowns or not, they'll be looking at the data to try and see if they can really establish how transmissible this variant of the virus is, um, and crucially, whether it uh, evades the vaccines. And I I think, uh, you know, we've seen in in the last 24 hours, there's cautious optimism that uh, the vaccines, which have worked really well against um, previous variants, uh, you know, there's no early signs that they're going to fail significantly against the, uh, the Indian variant. Um, and uh, so, you know, the, the, the key scientific challenge is to try mm-hmm. and establish is it, is it spreading faster because it's more dangerous and transmissible or is it spreading faster because there's not a lot of COVID elsewhere in the country?
2: And Adam, I suppose the problem that the government faces is there is a lot of feeling that they don't want any more of this. They don't want more lockdowns. They don't want to delay uh, what's supposed to come on June the 21st, which is the final uh, lifting. And we've seen really quite contrary reports uh, on that. Kwasi Kwarteng saying he thought it probably was going that way. Other ministers suggesting it might not be. I mean, this is a political fight as much as anything, isn't it?
3: It's a political fight. It's a cultural fight. And it's a a whole three times bitten however many times shy you know example the the government uh, have said before that they wanted to get out of lockdowns and and end restrictions and then they've seen the virus come back and bite them and, and, and hurt the country in meaningful ways so they're really cautious um and you've obviously got that that weighing up of civil liberties um you know, if the if the virus is now affecting people who are either too young to have been vaccinated as yet and are at a lower risk in general of serious illness, or people who are have for whatever reason chosen not to take a virus, you know that that many uh, many on uh, usually the political right and the, the, the sort of uh, lockdown sceptics in the UK are saying, well, why should others have their civil liberties curtailed uh, because of because of those groups of people? Obviously, there's a public health issue. And if the vi- if the variant is uh, not um, does not break through the vaccines, that will be a real a real a real um, uh, uh, a bonus uh, in in the column of the government, and that will pro- you know likely sway the, the the discussion around whether or not to go ahead with the opening in June. But you know, it's still all cards on the table. The other thing to say is that mm-hmm. there are parts of the country lo- local lockdowns were tried last year. Leicester hasn't really come out of a lockdown in the best part of a year. The northwest was in local lockdowns. so that if you remember those tiers back in the autumn and um it didn't really stop so there's skepticism about whether local issues were local measures work in that way
1: yeah, and also that the country is simply so small. I mean, the MP from Bolton, who we were speaking to yesterday, said, look, people just go somewhere else. You know, it's not that they, they, they travel to, to get what they um, need to. I mean, you mentioned young people it is affecting in Bolton, certainly um, a younger sort of cohort of people, um, which I think is slightly worrying. What does all of this mean then for the return to work? I mean, are people going to be able to get back into offices? And this is what the government also wants, is is the economic boom to proceed.
3: Well, this is one of your, the mixed messages you, you talked about. And Boris Johnson himself said last week in Parliament, I believe, that he, he sees, he envisages the return to uh, the work from home order being lifted on June the 21st. That's the big date, you know, the big date for for so many more things, the final stage of, of, lo- of unlocking. Um, but at, at the moment, there is still a work from home, if you can, order in the UK, although... You know data show that, um, that more and more people are traveling to work in, in many different types of work and office workers are starting to return to London in significant numbers. Um, the, yes there, there probably will be more of a concern and, and and less of a desire to have unmitigated unrestricted mixing of people on public transport and in offices if there is a highly transmissible dangerous variant around. Um, Also, workplaces, uh, which have currently adapted themselves to have maybe something like 50% capacity in their offices, uh, won't be able, if uh, restrictions aren't lifted, to to reopen fully and, and enable people to come back as many days a week or as full time as they want. So that's going to be a challenge for business.
2: All right, Adam, thanks so much for being with us. Adam Blenford there uh, of Bloomberg News. And, of course, we have been focusing in quite strongly this week on what is going in on in Bolton. Yesterday, of course, we had Yasmin Qureshi, uh, Labour MP for Bolton South East. Let's talk about the economic effects in that area of what could happen in terms of perhaps a renewed lockdown or just the current crisis. Let's bring in Subra Krishnan Harihara, who's head of research at Greater Manchester Chamber of Commerce. Subra, thanks for being with us. Um, first of all, the economic situation at the moment. I imagine uh, an awful lot of businesses in your area are scratching their heads about what they're supposed to be doing.
5: Uh, that, that, that is correct. Uh, I think this is um Created a new level of uncertainty for many businesses. Uh, I think uh, businesses were enthused by the prospect of uh, being able to reopen and get, bring their customers back in, in accordance with the, um, the the roadmap out of lockdown that was announced by the prime minister earlier in the year. And things seem to be going okay. We have seen that in the uh, economic uh, data that we are uh, gathering. Uh, so in the uh, in the last uh, two months, uh, we have seen a significant uptick in economic activity across most sectors. fueled by the success of the vaccination rollout, also fueled, uh, importantly, by the opening up of uh, various businesses. And any change uh, to that plan, uh, Mm -hmm. any significant change that is brought about by a local lockdown or or any sort of tiered system is actually going to derail and cause more uncertainty. So that would be uh, be bad uh, for businesses. That would be bad for employment. It would also be bad for uh, the local economy.
1: Well, then surely, um, you know, businesses included and and local government need to push for the vaccine to be rolled out more quickly and also for the government to pay um, more, support employees more to actually carry out self-isolation. That seems to be what the sort of um, health experts say. Are you trying to press the government to actually pay for businesses to ensure that people self-isolate and test?
5: Our position has been consistently very clear. Um, You know, this is not the time uh, to uh, indicate any sort of reduction in the support that is available to businesses. Uh, But also there should be sufficient support that are available for uh, employees. And we know uh, that in Greater Manchester and some of the more deprived parts of Northwest, people have, have been forced to continue working even if they have minor symptoms or even if there, they have been advised to self-isolate, and that's simply because they cannot afford to not work. And so that situation needs to change because there is a direct public health dimension to people who should not be uh, going out and should be self-isolating, actually going out to work and then perhaps spreading the virus out. So this is not the time uh, to, uh, to curtail support, and I think there should be more uh, support. Uh, uh, the other two things that should be happening, uh, of course, vaccination rollout uh, is um, continuing, uh, surge vaccination has been announced in Bolton, and there seems to be good uh, take-up of that. Uh, but also workplace testing—I think that's the other thing that many businesses uh, will be focusing on. Um, you know, our office uh, has been open for quite some time; small number of staff in, um, uh, and that is something we have uh, been doing ourselves and encouraging most of our members to do because now there is a program of workplace testing that is available. So, in addition to vaccination, there can be quick testing and contact tracing on the back of that, um, that can help spread any outbreak. And that, I think, is what we should be focusing on rather than imposing arbitrary lockdowns.
2: And and Subra, just briefly, uh, the rest of Greater Manchester, of course, has perhaps been able to take advantage, better advantage of the new freedoms. Are you seeing a kind of the signs of an economic uptick now in what had been obviously a, a situation of great difficulty?
5: Absolutely. Uh, The data for the last uh, two months, whether that is um, from our own work or the PMI service, all indicate a significant improvement in economic activity in the last um, two months or so. Uh, And we would hate to see that uh, derailed. Um, And I think what is important is that we are at this uh, time supporting businesses to do their best, to bring their customers back in, continue trading, get back to pre-pandemic levels as much as is possible, and secure both economic growth and employment. Uh, I think, you know, any activity that can disrupt that is going to be bad for the local economy.
0: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time.
2: Now let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And Caroline, we begin with the prospect of a holiday abroad. Sounds nice.
1: Yes, absolutely, because tomorrow, Britons are due to be given the green light by the EU to use vaccine passports to enter Europe. So EU ambassadors are expected to sign off on this plan, allowing fully vaccinated Britons to fly to the continent uh, without having to have a COVID test or quarantine. It comes as the bosses of BA and Heathrow issued a joint plea to the government to publish an advance list of its green countries for the summer holidays in order to enable families to plan trips.
2: Now, away from Covid, one of the issues, of course, that's been casting a blight over a lot of flats over the last few years is cladding. Labour is now calling on the government to set a deadline for developers to remove unsafe cladding from buildings. The party's tabled an amendment to the Queen's speech, arguing ministers have failed to put an end to the building safety crisis. It also says the situation's been made worse for leaseholders who are left with expensive bills to remove the dangerous cladding. As a result, Labour is calling for a national cladding task force to be set up.
1: Well, more on the economy. There are signs that the recovery is actually gaining momentum with the labour market improving more than expected in April. So figures out this morning showed that company payrolls rose 97,000 and vacancies also increased by 13%. So the jobless rate fell to 4.8% in the first quarter as employment recorded its first gain since the pandemic struck. So, and you can really see it in uh, you know, the weeks and months of uh, the lockdown restriction being eased.
2: And finally, uh, what one imagines would have been quite a difficult moment, Sir Keir Starmer addressed the Parliamentary Labour Party last night, praising the new outward-facing role of his shadow minister for, well, practically everything, Angela Rayner. Now, the Labour leader insisted the party needs to modernise and speak to the Britain of the 2020s and 2030s, pointing to Clement Attlee, Tony Blair and Hal Wilson as Labour prime ministers who were able to look to the future and set out a vision for a transformed society. Internal critics, however, said Labour lacked a national policy and enough polling, communications and staff support during the recent elections, which, of course, didn't go all that well. Now let's turn to one of the aspects of the Covid crisis and the lockdown and really I think what is one of the most heartbreaking aspects of it. It's been the fate of those confined to care homes, especially people with dementia, unable to see or touch their families. And the word confined is important because, perhaps with the best intentions, the authorities imposed COVID restrictions on residents far harsher than for those living in their own homes. Restrictions that some consider amount to breaches of human rights, as they are in effect imprisoned, often against their will. Now, one of the key groups working on this issue is John's campaign. They in fact launched a legal challenge to some of the restrictions. I'm pleased to say, joining us now is the co-founder of John's campaign, Julia Jones. Julia, welcome to the programme, and thank you for being with us. Um, just just bring us up to speed because we've been through a reopening, obviously, of much of UK life this week. How has that affected the situation in care homes?
4: I think it makes it um, even more painful. I, I think there's a there's a strong feeling, isn't there, within. Um, within British society. If we're all in something together, we can sort of put up with far more than than we could when we're alone. I think yesterday was a very bleak day for people um, whose relatives live in care homes and also for the people themselves who live in care homes who don't have dementia, who don't have learning disability and who somehow feel that they're being treated as... Potentially toxic, and shut away from the outside world. And as you know, I was listening, you know, to the news, and and, and the thought that people can can just fly off, you can know, wave a vaccine passport and fly off on holiday. This is a care home. Residents are probably the most highly vaccinated group of people within the country, and yet young people who live in a care home can't even go home to their parents' house for a meal or an overnight stay um, without having to come back. And then, and this is where your word imprisoned, I fear comes in, they are then isolated or threatened with isolation for 14 days. And of course, people living with learning disability or autism or dementia cannot possibly isolate, not voluntarily, for 14 days. So this is effectively continuing to confine them when the rest of the world is opening up and all of us relatives and and those with capacity in care home can see the rest of the world opening up and it makes it more painful.
1: No, absolutely, and and it is awful, isn't it? Because um, there, there were people in pubs, images of people in pubs and in all the newspapers and so on. So you're saying that nothing really has changed, even as the UK is, is reopening. And, and, and then I suppose comes the question, well, you know, if, if these, um, these restrictions are being imposed to protect people's health within care homes, uh, why is that still in place?
4: Absolutely, yes. And and I think I think one of the things that we haven't thought about enough um is the difference between health and well being. And and the thing is many people in care homes are not healthy, if you like. You know, maybe they are living with something like dementia, but their well being is, is sort of crucial to them. So there have been tiny, tiny little steps. So for instance, um you know, people in care homes can go out for a walk if they're accompanied and they don't go to a cafe and they don't meet with anybody else. But you ask yourself, why should this be um, so when, when the people who work in care homes you know come in and out you know, and, and lead their everyday life outside the care homes and you know go to the pub or go to a football match or do whatever they do, and then come back to work in the care home. And go from room to room, from, from resident to resident, pro- providing intimate care, where, where the resident themselves and their families are, are, are really, you know, held back in such extraordinary ways.
2: I suppose the, the authorities would say, well, it's for their health. We know right at the beginning of this crisis that the toll of people in care homes was horrendous and, and, and people were dying and it seemed that people didn't care about their health. Are you saying almost they care too much now? Is that the way
4: it is? I I, I think there's, there's, there's two main things there. One is that people who are living in care homes tend to die because this is probably, we're talking about older people's care homes now, not the younger people. This is probably their last address. You know, they they moved into care homes because they can no longer function independently in the community. And at any time during the pandemic, even the most awful days of of last April or this January, um, the numbers of people dying from COVID in care homes were were never more than a percentage of the total number. Across the country... Um, since last April, I think something like 126,000 people have died um, from COVID. Well, 130,000 people have died in care homes, but only about 30,000 of them with COVID. So you see what I'm saying, that that Mm, people's last months on earth and their families' last memories are being massively impacted for fear of something that, that isn't really such a major danger you know you can recover from covid but if you've got dementia you don't recover
1: so then this is a human rights issue is it i mean do you blame just the the administrators of these homes is it the government or or is it a bigger legal question as we mentioned you brought this legal challenge
4: (laughs) yes it's our second legal challenge we brought one um back uh last september um because that was when the, the government started publishing Guidance um, last July, and it was very, very poorly written. And, and it sort of imposed sort of blanket solutions um, or blanket prohibitions on, you know, the whole swathe of people with individually different needs. And so we, we, we um, took them to court about the fact that they weren't considering things like the Equality Act, which is, you know, obviously a human rights um, thing. It, it, it you know, says that if when people are living with disabilities, you know, you must consider their disabilities and make reasonable adjustments for them. And, and, and that's, been, um, that's been one of our key, um, our key requests all the way through. Stop treating these people like a sort of mass of people with no choice, with no agency, um, of, you know, with all the same you know, wishes and desires and, and capacities. And look at them as individual people. Who, who live in these places called care homes, and they're homes, they're not institutions. They're meant to be people's homes. So, so if you're if you're thinking about what you do for people in their domestic home, that should be the guide for what you know what you're offering to people who live in a shared home. That it's, it's, that's what it is. It's a shared home.
2: Julia, are you getting any? You presumably have represented this to ministers, MPs. Are you getting any kind of sense that, that briefly that this could change?
4: wish I was. I'm getting really frightened, Roger, that this sort of attitude is becoming sort of normalized, that this sort of terribly repressive, negative attitude, um, that the, the, the sort of the idea that separation and isolation um, is somehow safe. But the minute you look at it more carefully, separation and isolation are not safe. They're actually highly dangerous. The, the, I, I, I got a message from somebody yesterday, I put it up on our our blog today, a a lady who'd um, been in hospital and and she'd just been diagnosed with Lewy body dementia and she was told she couldn't go back to her extra care living so she moved into a care home Mm. at which point she was then separated from her family um, and then from anybody else in the care home. She was then isolated for 14 Mm. days. And if you think about that for this lady, newly diagnosed with dementia. She she was in a a place she'd never seen. She was being looked after by people she never knew.
2: Yeah.
4: She didn't understand what was happening and her family were not allowed to comfort her.
2: Bloomberg Westminster, listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
0: It can be hard to
1: see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown
4: has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state